He shared a statistic with us that changed my life forever, and it's the fact that the United States makes up only 5% of the world's population, but generates 40% of the world's waste. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> and that is when I realized, okay, there's something really off about our country in particular. I don't know what's going on with our trash and where things are ending up, but people really need to know about it. And it's since then that I was pretty compelled to figure out what I could do to change the packaging industry and to also figure out how I myself as an individual could reduce my plastic consumption and also my waste. Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome again to Season 2. We're into Episode 6 of who knows how many episodes. I'm going to say 8. We're going to say 8 at this stage. And so welcome. Welcome to this episode where Brooke is talking to the wonderful... Christine Liu. Christine Liu. Yes. From uh, so Christine is a she's a blogger. You may if you've been you know reading in the space of zero waste sustainability blogging for a while, you may have known her as the blogger behind Snapshots of Simplicity. But she has recently changed her website to uh, simplybychristine.com. And Christine not only is a fantastic blogger, really um, educational and practical information about. Zero waste living and sustainability, essentially. Uh, But she also makes videos for YouTube. She has a YouTube channel, which I think is relatively uncommon still in that space, in our space of simple living and um, sustainability. I know Christine and I spoke about it. She said there's quite a significant number of sustainable fashion YouTubers, and they are now beginning to really kind of find a crossover between that sustainable fashion interest and other sustainability practices, but she's one of only, you know, uh, probably a large handful of sustainability YouTubers. So if you like watching videos, calming videos of really beautiful, clear spaces and like minimalist philosophy, go and check out Christine's YouTube because it's really lovely. I've always wondered why there haven't been more YouTubers in this space. Well, I mean, it makes sense. Like, like everything from like decluttering, like it makes sense to make it video of that. Sure. And I think they do exist. To be fair, that's not something that I have ever really explored. I'm more of a reader myself. Yeah. But watching Christine's videos has kind of shaken me up in terms of looking for different ways of learning about this kind of stuff. Because I think particularly when you're talking about sustainability, you want it to be visual. I love a how-to video. Yeah, you do. Yeah, because it's like, it's so, I don't know, like it's just like learning from examples and like the examples are right there in front of you. Exactly. A video is very hard to ignore where words are pretty easy to ignore. Yeah, or to also what I think happens a lot with particularly zero waste information is that we tend to think all or nothing. Yeah. You know, we tend to think really big, big picture changes all at once. And when you're seeing how simple the changes can be visually, yeah. that can make all the difference. I yeah, think. that's true. But the... the Part of the reason I wanted Christine on the the podcast this year is because uh, she was instrumental in developing what's called a green team network in her previous employer, Cisco, which oh, yeah. is a huge mm-hmm. international corporation. Mm-hmm. And that is something... Technology. Cisco. 
Yeah. Technology. Yeah. So Christine worked specifically in packaging. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Um, which All we, logistics, I think. We also speak about. Yeah, right. Which I thought was a really interesting kind of entry point for her into sustainability. Oh, this yeah, area that She you would don't... have seen so much waste. Exactly. And we speak about that. Yeah. But essentially what I wanted to, to pick her brains about was how can someone who is currently in an organization that doesn't really have any sustainability measures in place, what can they do to start developing that, to maybe meet up with like-minded people and make some small changes that hopefully will you know will will snowball into bigger changes mm-hmm. and we go into that. Where's Christine based? She's in San Jose. San Jose. So we also, San Jose Sharks. Sure. So we also talk about uh, what it's like to live in a fast-paced area like the Silicon Valley region mm. where you know slow living is really not a concept that too many people would would necessarily live by. So I mean all that to say it's been a it was a really wide-ranging and interesting conversation. So Christine does mention a a number of times resources over on her website. So if you're interested in finding out about anything we talk about... Might might be a good idea to open up a browser for this episode. Yes, definitely. But also, as always, you head over to slowyourhome.com slash season two. You'll find all the show notes there. Mm -hmm. But her website is simply by christine.com and you can find her under the same name both on YouTube and Instagram. We hope you're enjoying season two. I certainly am. Yeah, it's been nice to produce it. It was tighter and... Well, yeah, I mean, the way I've kind of recorded has been different to when we were doing the show every... Yeah. uh, Let's talk about all that at the Hostel. Hostel coming up, folks. Couple of weeks. Enjoy. Hey, Christine, how are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me here. Oh, I'm absolutely stoked to be talking to you. As I just said before we, we hit record, I think... Given the work that you do and the work that you have done, we've got so much to dive into um, today. I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much. No, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. And I actually kind of just want to get straight into it because there's something that I'm focusing a lot more on this year. Um, last year, I had a lot of conversations with people about simplicity and the environment and the impact that we all have, you know, and the changes that many of us want to make. Uh, they feel so overwhelming and they feel so enormous. We kind of feel a little hopeless sometimes. I know Mm -hmm. I have gone through periods of that myself. So what I want to focus this year on is how to encourage people to make um, an individual impact by, you know, real world community-based solutions. And this is the first, the first reason that you came onto my radar is because in your previous, at your previous employers, you started what's called a green team network. Um, And can you tell me what that was and what caused you to, to kind of start that? Yeah, definitely. So just to give a little bit of context to anyone that's listening, I used to work at Cisco Systems, which is quite a large company. And I knew going in, I recently graduated from college, um, going in, I wanted to form some sort of community that could make changes to our workplace in regards to waste, um, environmental sustainability, and things like that. So a green team is um, quite well-known term for a lot of different companies out there. Some already have well-established green teams that go around and run different projects and campaigns to help employees become more aware of what they can do regarding sustainability in the workplace. But when I got to Cisco, there was no such thing, unfortunately, and I got some more context from some of the people that worked in corporate sustainability. And they just mentioned that 
Before, they had had really passionate people like myself come into the company, try to get a small group started, but nothing was very permanent. And once they left the company, things pretty much dissolved. So what I decided to do was I just started off with a small team in my own building. It was just a team of five. And what we did is we did a very simple bring your own cup campaign. And we put flyers up. We made it really fun. We got people to bring in their mugs, take a picture, and get the chance to win a gift card to hopefully be able to purchase coffee with their reusable cup or mug. And it just got a lot of traction, and we were really happy about it. We just had so much fun spreading awareness and getting people together to talk about the environment and the impact that we have. So what actually happened was our story and just the buzz that we created caught the eye of our workplace resources team and they really want to share a story with the whole company. And slowly but surely, we got a lot of traction, a lot of emails coming in saying, this is so great. We found other, um, also grassroots green teams that were based in other campuses throughout Mm -hmm. Cisco. Um, A lot of them were in Europe, but there's also one starting up in India too that were really inspired by what we did. So they had a huge campaign as well. And as all of these teams just started popping up and really gaining traction, we thought, why not make this long lasting and why not make an official organization out of it? So at Cisco, we have different employee groups. They're called employee resource organizations. And essentially, they're more permanent groups that, you know, a new hire can come in and they see a list of all these organizations that they might want to join. So it's very similar to like a club in a college or a high school, but it's for um, corporate employees. So we decided, let's take the plunge and let's build a global team and let's see who from the existing green team chapters would be willing to step up and help uh, kind of steer this forward. So within three years or so, we were able to have about 10 chapters throughout the world join in and we officially launched ourselves as a Cisco Green Team Network. That's amazing to see something grow so quickly that Mm -hmm. it kind of stemmed from a small experiment, essentially. With yeah, your, yourself and, and some colleagues. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think that for for changes like this in organizations, particularly if there's nothing like it in place, do you think that there are a lot of like-minded people around kind of just waiting for someone to make something happen? Absolutely. I would definitely say that. I think um, there are just so many people that I witnessed in my own company that were really excited and they're like, yes, I care about this. I'm just glad there's something that you guys really just started an organization to get things going. Um, And slowly but surely, like, yeah, you'll find those. There's going to be varying levels of interest for sure. Mm -hmm. I think the broad spectrum, especially here in California, is like, yes, of course, we want to help the environment. And then you're going to have the more passionate folks that come in and really start to spearhead and take things forward. Yeah. And I think... The thing that often strikes me and when when people ask me questions about how they can get their employers on board or even just colleagues, you know, in a kind of loose, casual way on board with some changes, it's the thing that's driving it is this disconnect between their personal values and perhaps the mm-hmm. way they live at home as opposed to the system that they find themselves in at work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, was that something that you were, were struck by or was that always a goal of yours to, to kind of head in and start to make change from the beginning with this? So for me, I've, I'm pretty passionate in mm. the space of environmental sustainability. And actually, the whole reason why I kind of just went for it was because 
Um, immediately before starting at Cisco, I was actually in a social entrepreneurship program, which, um, and they're pretty much the ones that got me started with this whole blogging journey with me even starting my zero waste lifestyle. And they encouraged me to do whatever I could with whatever opportunity that I had, whatever networks I had to just go and tell my story and make an impact. So it was pretty much through them encouraging me to just like go out there that I just kind of you know, cast a really wide net of different options of what I could do. I tried blogging on Cisco's blog about my lifestyle. And then I even tried the green team movement. I tried some other things too, but that green team thing really just caught on. Mm. So I was really happy about that because it's just so much more powerful to have a group of people working together to do something than just myself as an individual. Absolutely. And I think a certain level of um, energy comes from that feeling of connection with like-minded people too, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were you surprised about as you began this, the like the the green team initially, and then the network? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I would, I don't know if there's any big surprises, but I think I was always very encouraged and pleased by the like really positive comments and the amount of support that we got. Um, a lot of people would email me. Um, sometimes anonymously and just say like we really appreciate the work that you're doing um and we know that you're taking time out of your everyday work to do this and Mm. like keep going so I think it was just very encouraging to get overwhelming support and to realize that I'm not the only one that cares about this so Mm -hmm. I wonder why people uh emailed you anonymously I mean yeah (laughs) I guess it's just personal preference. Some people don't like to publicly post comments, so I do get anonymous emails. Got sometimes. you. Okay, no, that that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, do you have any sort of stats or you know any kind of indication of the impact that it has had and it had it at Cisco? Ooh, that's a good question. I actually don't have any numbers on the top of my head, but I can definitely say that the amount of dollars and also the pounds of waste that we saved is probably quite a bit throughout various um, countries and campuses. I mean, we have various chapters. Um, our biggest is probably in uh, Bangalore, India. They mm-hmm. were able to remove all their disposable cups. Wow. And just thinking of, you know, a campus of a couple thousand people, you know, that's that's a lot of cups to go through um, if they're all disposable, right? But they sw- completely switched over to um, reusable. And I know that on the main campus in San, in San Jose, um, there's also quite a few cup free, disposable cup-free buildings as well. So if you just think about, I think the average employee might be using maybe three to four cups every single day. Just multiply that by however many people are on campus. You just can kind of total up the amount of trees, CO2, and waste saved as well. Absolutely. I mean, that's phenomenal. Uh, and that's kind of one element of it. Cup, I mean, cups mm-hmm. and straws are one of those things that we always use because people can visualize it. Uh, but And it's also because there's something that so many of us have used for so many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know if it impacted um, not only individuals' choices, but also the way the company operated in any any way? I would definitely say so. I think there have been a lot of different things going on within the company regarding sustainability. I know that Cisco publicly announced that they have taken up a circular economy initiative. Mm-hmm. And as they are trying to figure out this strategy, I can definitely tell that with the momentum of all the employees and the green team network, that definitely was a huge voice to our CEO saying, we really care about mm-hmm. this. And he would start talking more about sustainability on our company-wide meetings. And I think that was just a huge drastic change from what it was like maybe three years ago. I, I find that so um, heartening and really an optimistic 
thing to to share with people because, like I said at the beginning, we can often feel like it's all a bit hopeless. You know, there's mm-hmm. just such an insurmountable number of problems, and we're just one person. But I mean, you banded together with just a handful of other people, and within mm-hmm. a number of years, the impact that you had not only on your colleagues and you know the individual buildings and the offices that that your company runs, but also the way the company was running. I think that is that's phenomenal. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, well done. I mean, I, I find that really, really exciting. Actually, um, mm-hmm. if there's someone listening who is in, they find themselves in a similar situation. They're passionate about sustainability. They work for an organization that maybe doesn't have anything in place. Do you have any suggestions on where they can start? Yeah, definitely. I would actually recommend checking out my blog because a couple months ago, I actually shared my story of how I got my sustainability job at Cisco and also what I did to start the green team. So I have a couple of tips on there regarding what I did to kind of build my network and also build a case for sustainability. Perfect. I will link to that in the show notes. Um, and then okay, I'm good. sure there'll be a lot of people who who head straight over there and, and look for mm-hmm. some of your wisdom. <laughs> now, I also wanted to ask you, you are a fantastic blogger in this zero waste, minimalism, slow living space. Where did your personal journey begin towards sustainable living and zero waste living? I mean, was there a catalyst? Was there a moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the moment for me was when I was back in college. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I studied industrial and packaging technology, which is a blend of business operations, product design, manufacturing, and also packaging engineering. So a good 50% of my major's courses were based on packaging. And um, within a couple of years of the major, I just totally loved it. I thought it was really interesting that I never really knew about everything that went into like boxes and cartons and bottles and the design, the testing of it. Mm. And it just absolutely fascinated me when I would, for example, walk down a grocery store aisle, just point at like a box or a can and be like, hey, I know exactly how that was made. And unfortunately, as I would go home to my roommates, um, they they were just different majors, right? I think um, we had two architecture majors and one other accounting major. And when I would watch them use like products or packaging, they would just throw away things like no other. Mm-hmm. And it just made me really sad to think, you know, I am here getting a four-year degree to make this stuff and our trash can gets filled so quickly with all of these um, plastic bags and wrappers and all sorts of things. So Um, I just really began to think, what is the disconnect between our consumption and where things go? And my last year of college, things really got to me when we had a a guest lecturer come in from our local landfill. And he talked about the impacts of our waste and Mm -hmm. packaging sustainability. He shared a statistic with us that changed my life forever, and it's the fact that the United States makes up only 5% of the world's population, but generates 40% of the world's waste. Whoa. Yes. (laughs) And that is when I realized, okay, there's something really off about our country in particular. I don't know what's going on with our trash and where things are ending up, but people really need to know about it. And it's since then that... I was pretty compelled to figure out what I could do to change the packaging industry and to also figure out how I myself as an individual could reduce my plastic consumption and also my waste. Right. So, I mean, you and you took the most direct route to that problem. You're like, I'm going to be part of this industry. How can I 
what what opportunities what solutions am I able to bring to it yeah definitely it just kind of came to me um yeah it was interesting because I when I first originally started studying uh packaging and manufacturing I never intended for it to go in the environmental route I actually always thought I would be working more with the social Mm -hmm. social responsibility route with like uh ethical manufacturing practices and sweatshops and whatnot, but it ended up being more environmental once I just got more into it. Right. I lo- And I love that you listened to that, though, and, you know, look where it's taken you so mm-hmm. far. Yeah. So with the, the zero waste movement uh, is something that I am in awe of, but also, like many people, I think, find really daunting. And I, I, I think that mm-hmm. that's always going to be the case when you've got something called zero waste, you know. Yeah, so, definitely. I mean, what are your thoughts on on that, first of all? And how do you reconcile any time that you're not able to maintain that kind of perfect zero in the zero waste? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would totally agree that the term zero waste is definitely daunting. It's off. I mean, zero just seems like an absolutely perfect number. Right. But I think... It's just amazing to see the growth of the movement for the past couple of years and to see how many people are really passionate about it. So I'm very encouraged by that. But I think the biggest thing that I always tell people that are wanting to jump, uh, jump onto the bandwagon is to remember their personal sustainability. Um, everyone's very different in regards to how much trash they consume or how much they generate and also just their purchasing habits. So don't expect um, your journey to be exact same as someone else's. Like I can give you my tips for what works for me, but it might not work for you. For myself, it took me just six months to completely convert over to zero waste because I was very um, adamant about, you know, using up all the things I already had and mm-hmm. figuring out other alternatives. But for someone else, it might take longer and that's totally fine. So what I recommend, I mean, this happens to me all the time is there will be hiccups where, you know, let's say I want to go to, an eatery or like a donut shop or something. And I bring my own container to usually get donuts. But sometimes people tell me, oh, I don't think we can take that because there's like a health code. Right. Or they probably make it up. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I just brush it aside. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Like I will just do whatever you ask us to do and we'll get the box. But yeah, it's just small steps and you do what you can. Absolutely. And I think having that kind of sense of grace uh, when you're faced with it, something that's out of your control, I mean... You're not going to miss out on a donut. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so, actually, specific a specific element of zero waste living that I hadn't, I've never discussed on the podcast. I don't think is zero waste pet supplies. So, you've recently mm-hmm. um, brought a puppy into your family, uh, and yes, we did. Oh, um, so cute! <laughs> like the cutest <laughs> dog sure. I think I've ever seen. <laughs> I know. He he just catches everyone. Like as we're walking down the street, they ask, oh, can we pet him? And I'm like, of course. Like, he's just <laughs> got the sweetest face. So, um, I mean, for me, I mean, we've got we've got a dog and zero waste stuff. We didn't have a bulk food store anywhere nearby where we used to live. Mm-hmm. Zero waste pet stuff is difficult. Do you have any specific tips or somewhere that people can start if they're looking to reduce the amount of rubbish that comes from their pet's um, food or, you know? supplies. Yeah. So I believe there are probably quite a few zero waste bloggers out there that already have some resources, but I'm also still on the journey of figuring out how to reduce my waste as much as possible for my dog. But a couple things have popped up. 
Um, the first is regarding dog food. I do not have bulk dog food access. I'm not very close to San Francisco where uh -huh. they have that option. So instead, I've opted for brands that TerraCycle partners with to recycle their packaging. Okay. So I use Royal Canine. That's just what my vet recommended. And um, they were on the list of one of the packages that I could recycle. So I think TerraCycle is a good option in the case that you have to buy packaged food, but you would like to recycle the packaging if at all possible. The other thing is there have been a surprising like number of sustainable pet toys and like pet brands out there. So I've always been on the hunt for uh, different items that I could uh, get for my dog because he loves to bite through things right. and he chews up everything. So he's definitely a chewer. And I recently found a brand called Westpaw. They're also based in the U.S. They make dog toys for uh, different levels of chewers, but they have the highest uh, level of chewers called like tough chewers. And they have all different toys that are made of a very tough plastic kind of rubber. It's completely safe. And what happens is, let's say your dog breaks it or, you know, it's at the end of its life. You can send it back and they'll recycle it for you and make it into a new toy, which I think wow. is really, really great. Considering there's just so many cheap uh, uh, dog toys out there that is really important to think like, where do all those things go? So I'm really glad that this company is fully responsible for having a closed loop system for their products. That's the word that, that came to me as well, responsible. You know, they're taking mm -hmm. responsibility for the product they're putting out there and then reusing it, bringing it back in and putting yeah, it definitely. out as a, as a new product. And I think, uh, and you make a great point about the TerraCycle program as well. You talking about not being able to do everything perfectly, it's okay that you know that you you can't find bulk dog food, but let's look for the next best solution. And yeah. I think those programs are fantastic because it makes the idea of zero waste or low waste so much more accessible to people. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would say that a lot of the principles that I use in my own life are also applied for my dog's life as well. Um, for example, a lot of the things that. I've gotten for him are I try to get secondhand because a lot of these things, you know, there's just so many dog things already out there. So a lot of people already had puppies I've grown out of their harnesses. So I've gotten one secondhand um, dog crates, all sorts of things. They're just already out there. So I would encourage that and also just be wary of how many toys you get and just kind of keep things minimal too. I think yeah. the most important thing about raising a dog is just spending time with them. That's really all they want. So I don't, try to buy a lot of things for him. I just try to like go on more walks and be outdoors and play with him more. And that's what I was going to ask you next. I mean, having animals in your life is such a wonderful way to slow down and practice mm -hmm. mindfulness because I mean, dogs, cats, most animals are a study in living in the present, you know, mm -hmm. what's, so what's your favorite part, I guess, of, of having him around so far? Yeah, definitely. So for myself, I've always known ever since I was little, probably since preschool, I've always wanted some sort of furry companion by my side, but I finally got one once I was 25. Um, and unfortunately, um, this past year or past two years, I would say have been a bit of a mental health struggle for me. I've gone pretty much up and down with my anxiety and depression, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And having Cooper, my puppy around has really helped, I think, with keeping me present. And there are times where I, I feel sad and he he knows and he will come up to me and just lick my face mm -hmm. when I have tears on my eyes, you know, and he he just gives me a lot of um, peace and he just kind of reminds me that, you know, life is pretty simple when you just kind of focus on the little things. Right. Oh, that's mm -hmm. um. I think they're amazing, that intuition that they have. Yeah, that definitely. When you're hurting or when you're playful or when, you know, you're sick, they will 
respond to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the connection's pretty phenomenal, I think. Yeah. Okay. How, um, if you don't mind me asking, I guess you, you mentioned mm-hmm. that your mental health struggles over the last couple of years. How has simplifying your life impacted on that over the last couple of years? I mean, do you find that it's something that supports improving your mental health um, by kind of removing the extra, the excess from life? Yeah, I think I would say so. I think my mental health issues have come up not really from decluttering my life or like trying to simplify things per se. It's been more out of just the transition into the lifestyle here in the Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of go, go, go. And a lot of like the top businesses in the world are based here. So I'm assuming that a lot of the symptoms or the causes of my anxiety have just been from the lifestyle here. And it's, it's hard to go slow when you are just surrounded by people that just want to keep going faster and faster. So I would say that, yeah, this lifestyle does keep me grounded, but it's definitely a challenge um, Mm -hmm. when you have people all around you kind of preaching the same thing about like climbing the corporate ladder and like wanting to buy a house and just progressing in life so quickly, quickly. Uh, So uh, do you have strategies for maintaining some semblance of slow in the face of that? I think the biggest thing that I like to do is um, say no to things Mm -hmm. because I used to always be a people pleaser saying yes to every single opportunity or question or ask that someone gave me. And I was usually burnt to a crisp. Um, I would remember, yeah, in college, every seventh week of the quarter, I would get sick for a week and have a fever and just be out. Mm. And that was a burnout I would feel every single quarter um, within the year. And it was just like an ongoing trend. But I think as soon as I, you know, started working, I learned to say no to quite a few things. And I'm trying to just, yeah, slow things down and really prioritize not just like physically, but also mentally, what is my mind capable of handling right now? And I think that's such an important question because, as you said, we're faced with a society, and particularly mm-hmm. where you live at the moment, that that tells us if we just, you know, hustle a little harder, we can, we can, our capabilities can rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. And while that might be the case in the very short term, I mean, our energies are not infinite, and I think it's a really important thing to learn and then to kind of become very intentional and mindful about. And the fact that mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're doing it now I think is is fantastic um and I hope that it keeps kind of bringing you those moments of slow and peace in amongst it all (laughs) thank you (laughs) so another thing that I I really am fascinated by uh is your recent or recent ish low waste wedding you had a really sustainable and beautiful wedding um now obviously I know given that I guess you were already so passionate and so embedded in the sustainability movement when you got married. Uh, was your was your partner on board? Uh, so he is not zero waste, mm-hmm. but he is on board to support me in all my endeavors and efforts. And he totally understands why I do the things I do. And he tries his best to also reduce his waste where he can. He's not perfect, though, but that is okay. That is okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But regarding the wedding, he was like, yeah, you do you. Just like, do whatever you want because I don't really care. <laughs> so it was pretty It was pretty great to just be able to take the reins. And at least for me, I'm also the planner uh, between the two of us. So I'm typically the one that plans out everything anyway. So it worked out quite well. So, I mean, when we got married even, that was, I don't know how many years ago, uh, <laughs> a while ago, 12 years ago or something like that. Um, it was, we tried to keep it relatively simple for then. Um, but 
I mean, weddings can get so out of hand so quickly. We talk about living in a society where everything needs to be bigger and better and, you know, kind of status symbols attached to all of it. Um, what did, did you find any resistance to this idea of, of having a simpler, lower waist wedding? Um, not too much resistance, but I think there were times where, you know, someone would, would say, maybe like a relative would say, oh, don't you need to have like <laughs> something like this in your wedding? I'm like, oh, probably not. Like, for example, um, the uh, pro- wedding programs or physical invitations. We didn't do any of that because we wanted to reduce our paper waste as well. So we try to keep things as simple as possible. It's funny how tradition often keeps us doing things mm-hmm. that we wouldn't normally do. You know, in, in life, would we normally print out 100 booklets of however many pages and kind of for literally an hour <laughs> right. and then recycle them? But tradition keeps so many of us doing those things in order to keep people happy or, you know, maintain the status quo. So uh, did you find that there was a lot of information out there when you were planning your wedding about keeping things more sustainable? Or was that something that you experimented with yourself? Yeah, you know what, I realized I don't think I researched anything regarding sustainable weddings besides dresses. I think that was the biggest thing for me. Otherwise, I use all the principles that I've acquired um, in my years of experience of just living zero waste and just apply them to the wedding as well. Which makes perfect sense because you've already got all the information mm-hmm. you need. Uh, <laughs> did Do you think that it gave you a significant cost saving to keep things lower waste? Um, I'm guessing it probably did. Um, just Luckily, here in the Bay Area, we do have composting services available, which is quite handy. So we didn't have any like added costs in regards to um, like trying to compost things or be more eco-friendly in yeah. that manner. I think the biggest cost savings for us is just, yeah, like just saying no to things. Um, for example, saying no to getting a, a larger bouquet or more like uh, floral decorations or giving away gifts to all the guests. So I think that would have definitely saved us quite a bit of money. Absolutely. I can only imagine. Um, so do you have, for someone who's listening, they're planning a wedding, uh, they're looking to make it su- as sustainable as possible. Do you have maybe one or two things that would be a great place to start for, for people who are really curious about how to make that happen? Yeah. So I have also shared my wedding on my blog. So feel free to go over there and get some inspiration regarding what I did. Otherwise, I also am planning a friend's wedding in August and they are also um, keen on having it sustainable as well. So in the case that you guys are listening and would love to get some more tips, feel free to just message me directly, email me, let me know what you're looking for. Otherwise, I know I plan on sharing some of my favorite brands or options I consider for sustainable wedding dresses. Um, and I might, I don't, I don't know, I just got to think of some more things to share, but I'm sure something will come out very soon. Okay. So you mentioned um, dresses. What did you end up doing for your dress? So I ended up borrowing my sister's dress. Um, she was just married, I want to say half a year earlier. And the way that her dress was, it actually was able to fit me perfectly. And I just had to elongate the length just a bit because I'm a bit taller than her. But yeah, originally I was considering buying a dress secondhand or renting Mm -hmm. and um, I just tried on different dresses, tried different options. But then at one point um, I was trying on a dress and my sister was there and she's like, hey, what if you actually just wear my dress? And we just kind of joked about it. But then the more that I thought about it on the ride home, the more I was like, I think that's probably the right (laughs) choice for me to do. So I ended up just making it a bit different because it was a strapless dress And I was able to find a a lace bridal topper 
that was made out of organic cotton by a brand called Pure Magnolia. They are based in Canada. So I was able to get that topper to add onto the dress. So it blended in quite nicely and made it look different for the mm. day. It's a perfect example of using what you have at your disposal already. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think so many of us, when we're looking for sustainable options, we're like, okay, well, I need to go and outfit my wardrobe with sustainable ethical labels or secondhand stuff. Whereas I think the most sustainable thing to do would be to use what we already have. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when the time comes to replace those things, then we look at what the next best sustainable practice is. Is that something that you, like, do you agree with that? Or do you think that Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, I think that that's probably one of the, the, not issues, just probably one of my peeves, I guess, about the current sustainability movement being Mm co-opted by kind of the lifestyle brands as well. It's -hmm. someone's trying to figure out how do I sell things to minimalists? You know, how do I sell things to people who, (laughs) who want to live a more sustainable life? Well, you package it up and make it look like this is what you should be doing if you're living Mm -hmm. sustainably. Uh, And I think that it's something we need to be really aware of as we, mm-hmm. you know, go through the journey of starting to, to live more sustainably and slowing down. Do you find that over time you've had to shift the the inputs into your life? I mean, the, the social media that you follow, the magazines, the TV shows, whatever those inputs are into your life, do you find that you're, you're, you're changing and, and sort of cutting some of those off as they start to delve into that let's buy more stuff to be more sustainable sort of mode? Yeah, definitely. I would say actually to start with, I never like touched social media much until I started blogging. So a lot of my social media was just based around my friends, my community. Um, But I would say that, yeah, definitely some of the, like, for example, the bloggers I used to follow, I just stopped following them because I just felt like everything was a marketing ploy. And I, I know it's hard, like people, a lot of people depend on this for their job and their income. So it's difficult to figure out a way to, you know, generate income sometimes. But yeah, usually I end up just following people that I appreciate for their personality. <laughs> so that's typically kind of what I'm listening to or reading into mostly these days. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the fact that you weren't sort of headfirst in social media beforehand as well was probably smart so that when you came into it as someone with something to say, you just were able mm-hmm. to say it. You know, you didn't, yeah. have, you didn't mm-hmm. have all these other inputs to wade through. Yeah, definitely. This has been fantastic. And I'd love before we we wrap up, if you're willing to kind of offer perhaps one of your favorite zero waste sustainable living tips that anyone listening today who's like, okay, I feel really inspired after this conversation. um, I want to start. What's something that people can start with today if they're really just beginning this journey? Yeah, definitely. So the way that I started my zero waste journey was just by taking a look into the next thing I would have thrown into my trash can. So I think the first thing I threw away is probably a plastic toothbrush. So the bamboo toothbrush was the first thing I switched over to. So I just encourage anyone that wants to start, just take a look at your trash can. The next thing you throw away, figure out if there's an alternative that you can either reuse, find a more sustainable option, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So just take it a step at a time. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, and that's, I think the the bamboo toothbrush is one of the first things I made the switch mm-hmm. to. And it, but uh, so many people are so funny about the texture of the bamboo toothbrushes. It never bothered mm-hmm. me, um, which I think I'm yeah, fortunate I'm about. Okay but with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it. I know yeah. people have got all different kind of mouthfeel things mm-hmm. going on, but for me, that was the, probably one of the easiest because they sell them everywhere. 
now. Yeah, definitely. And the amount of zero waste products that are now out there, it's pretty encouraging because I think when I first started, a lot of people resorted to DIY options, which can be a hit or miss. But now there's a lot more options in the case that you don't have time to DIY or you don't feel comfortable with uh, making things yourself. Exactly. So I think that's another great thing. And I think the whole, when it was really focused on DIY, you know, you have to make your own shampoo, your own toothpaste, your own mm-hmm. deodorant, your own everything. Uh, fine. Like if you, if you do that and you're enjoying it and you're having success, awesome. But I also think that that's daunting for people too because that's yeah. time, right? And that might be buying some equipment or some ingredients that you may never use again, which feels kind right. of counter. So, yeah. I agree. The fact that you can go into a lot of major, even supermarket chains now and find zero waste or low waste options is really Mm -hmm. encouraging. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Christine, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really wonderful chatting with you. Yeah, definitely. Thanks again for having me as well. It was really fun. No, it was a pleasure. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.